And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Good morning. I'm glad everybody brought their Bible and their iPad and their iPhone and their Android phone with all the Bible text in it. You're going to need it this morning. I want to talk to you about faith and the works, basically, that the Bible talks about so that we can get a better grasp of what Jesus was talking about when he, when he told these fellows that came to him, these folks that came to him and said, what may we do that we might work the works of God? Now, that's a, that's a question that, that a lot of people ask just as soon as they realize that they have a, a place in the presence of God, that God is in their life. And the first thing that comes into your mind when you realize that is, what, what should I be doing? That's the first thing that crosses your mind. Now you may, maybe a long time ago that you remember doing that, but it happened to you. It's happened to you at some time in your life when you've thought about God, you've thought, what should I do? What should I do? It's a basic question. It is the question, uh, basically, that, that was asked when, when uh, John the Baptist was preaching repentance. The people came to him and, and they asked him, well, what, what must we do? In Luke chapter 3 and verse 10. And then uh, John began to tell them some things that they could do. And he told the people what they could do to share if they had two coats, to share with the one who didn't have any. And, and with the soldiers, they weren't, going, or weren't supposed to take more than they should and that they should uh, do violence to no man anyway. That the point is, we, we asked that question. The rich young ruler... In Matthew chapter 19 at verse 16, if you remember, he asked Jesus, he said, What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus then responded, and he did say, Keep the commandments. And the ruler said, Which ones? Which probably prompted another question that was asked later on by a lawyer in Matthew chapter 22 at verse 36. He said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? If I'm going to keep commandments, I want to keep the biggest and the best. And he said, of course, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and heart. Second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then, on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus rose from the dead, and the apostles, 40 days later, on the day of Pentecost, after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came upon these men and they spoke in the different languages that the people understood. They, they had come from all over the civilized world. And Peter stood up among them and he was preaching and, and he convinced them that they had crucified Jesus, the Lord, the King of glory, the Son of David. And when they realized that, they were pricked in their hearts, the Bible says. And they asked the question, you ask, what must we do? What must we do? So, basically, 
when we're confronted with the reality of God and the, with the reality of our lives and where we are in relationship to God, we ask that question, what shall we do? What must we do? Now Jesus responded to these people who followed him around, you remember, on the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. They came around and they were asking him if he would give them a sign of some nature. They wanted a, they wanted a sign that he was the Son of God. And uh, then, then they confronted him with other questions and, and they, uh, they said, well, Moses gave us a sign. He gave us bread from heaven. What, what are you going to give us? And anyway, it resulted in that conversation that Jesus said. He said, I'm the bread of life later on. But basically, when they asked that question, what shall we do? Jesus said, the works of God, the work of God was the faith to believe in Him. Faith was the work of God. Now, because anyone who reads the New Testament understands that the very basis of our relationship with God is faith. You have to believe, I have to believe, everybody has to believe that Jesus is the Christ, He's the Son of God, and that we are reliant upon Him for everything. Matter of fact, He was the creative force in creation. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, By Him God created all things. So, Jesus is the creative force, and... In talking about Jesus, we, we were confronted with the fact that we have to we really have to do something. But this text says the work of God is to believe on him that God has sent. Now, because when people read the Bible, they sometimes pick what they want to believe rather than what the Bible says overall. Isn't that correct? Sure it is. When you open the Bible, you're looking for something that is pertinent to you, relative to you. You want to find something that fits me. That's, that's what I do. That's what everybody does. But, but we have to be careful about that because we can't make the Bible say what we want it to say. And sometimes it, it grows a little larger than that because sometimes individuals of prominence can say something and it has more of an impact than if you or I say it. That happened with a fellow by the name of Martin Luther back in the early 16th century. Martin Luther was a cleric in the Roman Catholic Church. He was a priest, and he was a professor at the university in Wittenberg, Germany. And because he was prominent, and because of the fact that he was a Bible scholar, he was certainly into his book, into his Bible, and he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, he, was, he was concerned because the Catholic Church had taken a turn that, that was bothering him deeply. What he thought was happening was that the Catholic Church, which was the predominant, predominant Christian-believing group, Roman Catholic Church, because it had such a presence in the civilized world, that he felt like it was going down the wrong track for two reasons. One was the, uh, the sale of indulgences. You know what that is? Some of you do it, some don't. But uh, the Pope Leo X was trying to rebuild the, the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. But he was broke. He didn't have any money. He didn't have enough money to rebuild it. And so a fellow by the name of Tetzel proposed to the Pope of Rome that if they could sell indulgences, which is the right 
to sin. That's what an indulgence was. So if you could sell these, peddle these among the people, you could raise enough money to put up the St. Peter's Cathedral. Now that meant that if you paid ahead of time for your sin, if you wanted to, for instance, kill someone, they set a price on that and you could pay for that. I'm not sure that that was that extravagant. But anyway, the idea was that you could pay ahead of time for the sin that you're going to commit. Martin Luther thought that was outrageous. He thought that was certainly contrary to the Word of God. And then the doctrine of penance was involved in it, which meant that after you committed the sin, if you went to confessional, the priest could tell you so many things you could do to erase that sin. That's called penance. Sometimes it involved money. Sometimes it just involved some activities. But the idea was that you could do the works that would remove your sins. Okay? So Martin Luther responded to that by teaching that you didn't have to do anything to serve God. As a matter of fact, all you had to do was believe. And he took a text like we just read in in the the book of John in in chapter 6. And as a matter of fact, he went further than that. He was a good Bible scholar. I think because of overreaction, and of course this was the base, part of the basis for the Protestant Reformation, reforming of the Roman Catholic Church. Anyway, he took a text in Romans chapter 3 at verse 28 that says this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Romans 3, 28. But he added a word. You know what word he added? He added the word alone. So he read it this way. He said that a man is justified by faith only, or faith alone, not by works. So he felt like the rest of the New Testament justified that, that all you have to do is believe you can be saved. That's his point. That was his point. And so from there, he, he, was, a, he was a great scholar. He, tra- he was translating the, the Bible, the New Testament, into German. And he was translating it from the Greek. He translated it from the Greek to the Latin. Then he translated that from the Latin, which is the text that they usually used, the Roman Catholic, translated that into German. And when he did, his translation added that word. In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, added the word only in that text. Now, everybody who reads this and understands it and reads other texts understands that he added it. First of all, he just put it in the margin of his Bible. Then he actually stuck it in his translation. That translation gained some popularity. Although we know that when you read the Bible, when you read it all, you'll find that something like that doesn't fit with everything else that's taught in the Bible. Okay? Now, it's obvious that faith is the basis of our relationship with God. He knew that. But we also note that it's necessary, and Martin Luther also knew that, but he tried to, he tried to cover it up to some degree. And because of his stature, because of his reputation, because he was a professor, because he was a reformer, it gained ground. As a matter of fact, many people don't know this, but there was a lot of blood shed by the reformers trying to reform the Roman Catholic Church. They rose up in protest. Bloody riots when people did not conform to what they thought Martin Luther was teaching. Matter of fact, anyone who disagreed after a while with the Protestant Reformation 
forfeited their lives. So it wasn't just the Roman Catholic Church that was persecuting those who didn't believe with them. It was also the Reformers. Anyway, uh, it's necessary for us to understand and necessary to, uh, to actually give him the due that he, he has due to him. He didn't, he didn't reject all works, but he did, he did put this in the text and he did promote a doctrine that has had some harmful effects on it that, that uh, follow it. John 3.16, of course, says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 5.1 says, good works. Now let's look at this, because He's saying, he's saying that uh, you don't do any work at all. You just, you just have faith and you're justified. You don't have to do anything. At the point of faith, and it's being taught pretty predominantly in, in the religious community, Protestant religious community, that just as soon as you believe, you're saved. You're justified. Now let's look at what the Bible says about that. But let's, let's make sure that we have this right. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace through God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if we believe in Him, we have that peace. Romans 4 5 says, But to him that works not, but believes on Him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So these texts seem to indicate that, that the good work that Jesus is talking about is faith only. Faith only. That's all you need. You don't need to confess the name of, the, of Jesus Christ. You don't need to repent. You don't need to be baptized. That's for sure. That's what, what's taught. That just as soon as you believe you are all of a sudden transported into the presence of God, pure and clean and resolved from all your sins. However, faith only is, is not taught in the New Testament. That's, that's, that's the major problem with this. Let's look at some texts. In James chapter 2 at verse 20, one of the most remarkable texts, and one that, that brought Martin Luther to the point that he almost, not completely, but he almost denied that the book of James was part of the New Testament canon. Almost denied that. Because he was so confirmed and so sure that his faith only doctrine was right, he almost, but didn't, but he almost said that the book of James was not part of God's Word. But he didn't, thank goodness. In James chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For will you, O vain man, know that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? You see that how then faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You see, that, that's, a, that's a hard text to, to try to make faith only work, isn't it? You're, you're saved by works, not by faith only. So that means, basically, and we understand it, that you have to have faith in God before you can move to do anything. I am not going to do anything God wants me to do unless I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm just not going to do it. You can talk your, yourself hoarse trying to convince me, but if I do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, I'm not going to move. You're not either. You know yourself just as well as I know myself. You're not going to do anything. 
But just as soon as you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're going to ask that question. What will you have me to do? You know what he's going to tell you to do? He's going to tell you to repent. Quit sinning. He's going to tell you, I need you to tell other people about me. Confess. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then he's going to tell you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Then he's going to tell you to walk with him and do his bidding. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Okay. Now, faith, faith actually works. Hebrews chapter 11 is the book of faith. We know that, don't we? He tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the, things, the substance of things not seen, evidence of things not seen. Now in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now from this starting point, He begins to tell us what faith does. Not just what faith is, but what faith does. And he said, faith did this with Abraham. It, it caused him to get up out of his father's land and go to a land that he didn't know anything about. It, it, uh, it told Noah to build an ark. and That's what Noah did. He built an ark. It, it told all the heroes and heroines of faith what to do. And they did what they were told to do. And that's an evidence of faith. That's what faith does. Faith promotes you and prods you to do something. If you don't believe in God, you're not going to do it. But if you believe in God, you're going to stand up and say, what will you have me to do? And when you find out, you're going to do it. Ephesians 2 at verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. We read that one already. But then he continues on. He says, It's not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. Well, we've got a problem here because this business of works keeps coming up. And we'll solve that problem in a minute. But he says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works which God before ordained that we should live in them. From the other scriptures, and I'm going to read a few now, there's no doubt that we have an active part in our salvation and our justification. You're not passive when it comes to salvation. You're not just someone sitting there putting your hand on top of the TV set and saying, I believe. You're not someone that just sticks your hand in there and says, I believe, and you're saved. No, you have an active part from the Bible viewpoint. Now, from preachers that are preaching faith only, they're going to tell you, just believe. And they're going to have you lay your hand on your heart. They're going to have you have them put their hand on your head. They're going to do all sorts of things. But basically, and I'm not trying to criticize them, I'm just saying, what's happening is you're being told, don't do anything, just believe, and at that point, you're saved. You're saved. Now that's not what the Bible says. Not at all. The Bible says you have an active part in your salvation. A very active part. Romans 2 at verse 8 says, But unto them that are contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Notice the term obey. If you do not obey, you have, you're going to be in trouble. We're all going to be in trouble if we don't obey. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first, also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew also, to the Gentile. There's no respect of person with God. We have to obey. That's the point. When 
When Saul of Tarsus was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he said, Lord, you know what he said? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then he wanted to know what he had to do, and he said, I want you to go into a street called Straight. Do something. Now, I know at that point that Paul saw the light. He believed that Jesus was a Christ, but he was not a saved individual. When he went to the street that's called Straight in Damascus, a man came to him. And when the man came to him, he told him what he had to do. And what he told him was, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Saul of Tarsus was not saved until his sins were washed away. He had to do something. That's understandable, isn't it? Sure, he had faith. His faith moved him in the right direction. But faith has to move you. Romans 6, at verse 16, says, Know ye not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Obedience is the, is the key. Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as my, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work. So when Jesus said, the works of God is faith, what he meant was a working faith. Ah, there you go. A faith that works, a faith that's energetic, a faith that's active, a faith that is dynamic, a faith that does something. When God says go, we go. That's what that faith is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, For who you are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and on those that do not obey the gospel of Christ. Don't obey, you're in trouble. Well, the, the point is, when you believe, you're going to obey. Though He were a son, even Jesus... Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Even our Lord Jesus had to obey. He had faith in his Father, but he still had to obey. In 1 Peter 4, verse 17, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of our Lord? So, works of the law. Let's talk about works of the law because that's what the text is talking about. What he's saying is, when he says that we're not saved by works, what he's saying is that we're saved by faith is he's talking about the works of the law. What he's saying basically is that you cannot work yourself into the favor of God. You cannot do so many good deeds that God will say, Ah! You're my favorite. Come on. Come on. You, you're such a good person. Come with me. He's not going to say that. That's the problem. The problem is because we're dragging so much baggage. God may want us, but He doesn't want our baggage. So this, this, this is the issue. He's talking about the works of the law. You're saved by faith and not the works of the law. Not the good deeds that we can do that the law prescribes. You know, the young man said, what good, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep, keep the commandments. He was living under the Old Testament law. Jesus had not died on the cross yet, and faith in Him was not required to 
justify. What he had to do was keep the Old Testament law. You know what the old young man said? Sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. And he went away. Why? Because you can't keep the law and make yourself right. It, you just can't do it. You need help. We all need help. Romans chapter 4 verse 1 says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father pertaining to the flesh is found? If Abraham were justified by works, he is whereof to glory, but not before God. What says the scripture? Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now we know from other texts that when Abraham believed, he offered his son Isaac because his faith prompted him to do that. But it says, Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now get the point, please. Abraham didn't go up to offer his son Isaac before he was told to do it. See the difference? If Abraham was walking around sacrificing every animal he could, doing every good deed he could, and said, then he thought within himself, what I'm going to do, I think I can please God, I'm going to give him my son too. That wouldn't have worked. But when God told him to do it, and Abraham believed him, then Abraham could do what God told him to do, and then, of course, God stopped him. But the point is, works do not promote faith. Faith promotes works. You see? Okay, let's go on. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man for whom God imputes righteousness without works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin, or to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Then in Galatians 3, verse 6 and 11, it says, Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. The, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be, earth, be, uh, be saved. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident the just shall live by faith. But keep in mind, he's talking about not being justified by the law, but by faith. Now, the works of the law were, of course, the Ten Commandments. So a person could come along and say to God, Look, just like the young, young man did, young rulers did, he said, I've kept these commandments from my youth up. God owes me. God owes me. Pay up. No, God didn't know him. Because Jesus said, okay, let's see if, see if you've done that. Sell what you have. Give the poor and come follow me. And the young man said, oops. Maybe I, wasn't, maybe I, I got this wrong. Now, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's again the text. I'm, I'm just going to read some texts that talk about deeds of the law in relationship to faith. Galatians 2.16, a man is justified by the, man is not justified by the works of the law, but with the faith of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind he's talking about works of the law. And then in Galatians 3.11, I'm sorry, No man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. 
Galatians 5.4 Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever is justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. You, you get the trend? Justified by the law. Now, we are not justified by the law. We are justified by faith. Now, to put these concepts in modern terms, here's where we, here, everything came, is coming down to this point. Okay, let's see if we can put it in modern terms. We could go back and look at some, some, some uh, illustrations and parables from Jesus' time and from the apostles' time, but let's, let's look at our times. Let's talk about it in our, in our framework. When we're talking about being justified by faith and not by the law, think in these terms. Think of the fact that you, when you sin, you have committed something shameful. You've done something shameful. And it's like somebody wrote that in indelible ink. Unerasable. You know what that's like? Have you ever written anything in ink that can't be erased? You ever done that? You ever written something? On, I've written them on blackboard sometimes that ink can't be erased. It's still there. You can still see it. You can still see a vague shadow. It's still there. So when we sin, we commit a shameful deed that is always going to be there, no matter what we do to get it off. Okay. I can say, I'm sorry. I can go through all the acts that I possibly can. I, I can tell everybody what I, that I, I wish I hadn't done that. I can, I can start doing, trying to do good deeds. I can do the best I can. But you know what? The record is written and there it is. It's in indelible ink. You say, well, maybe, maybe if you uh, cover that up somehow. Maybe you shut the book. I've, 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 shut, I've, I've turned the page on that. <coughs> shut the book. But you know what? It's still there. It's still there. And no matter what you do, if you try to erase it, you, you, you erase it, you'll scratch up the paper, and etc. You can do everything you can, possibly. You can do everything you think is right. You can say, okay, I'm going to be a better person from now on. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to not kick dogs anymore, little animals. I'm, go, I'm, going to, I'm going to try not to swear anymore. I'm going, to, I'm going to do all these good things that I can. But you know what? The record remains. It's still there. You still did it. It's still shameful. There's only one thing that can blot that out. You know what it is? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins might be blotted out when the times of refreshment shall come from the Lord. Now you'll probably still remember it and the people that you've done it to will probably still remember it. But the blood of Jesus Christ blobbed it out. Now get this. That's faith. I believe and so I come to Jesus Christ on my knees and I've confessed His name and I've repented of my past and He's washed me white. Made me white in the blood of the Lamb. He's blotted out my sins. My works didn't get it done. I can't, I can't undo it myself. I say something naughty to Chip. Say something mean to him. He won't forget it. It'll be with him for years and years and years. I won't forget it. The only way I can get that rid of that 
just ask God to forgive me. Now Chip may say, I forgive you. He'll probably still remember it. But you know who won't remember it? God won't remember it. Now I, I can't understand that. I cannot understand that. But I cannot get out of my mind the bad things that I've done. But I do know someone who blotted it out of his record and he did it with the blood of his son Jesus Christ. Sin is also like an incurable disease that we can't heal. We're talking about works and faith. Okay, sin is an incurable disease. So how do I get how do I get how do I take care of that disease? I'll tell you what people usually do. They'll go to a doctor. And the doctor will tell them, hey, you're in trouble. You've got a disease that we can't handle. Doc, I'm going to get a second opinion. I don't, I don't trust you. So we go get a second opinion. The second opinion, the guy says, you know, your first doctor was right. I can't do anything for this. Okay. I'm going to go on the internet and I'm going to find out if there's somebody else got this disease. They got it cured and I'm going to follow that. So I'm going to follow every trail I can to see if I can find some way I can cure this disease. I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I may take a trip down to Mexico because I heard that they've got a cure for this disease down in Mexico. So I'm going to spend some money and I'm going to get on a plane and then I'm going to get on a, in a bus and then I'm going to get on a car and I'm going to get on a scooter. Then I'm going to swing in on vines and I'm going to get to this doctor that can take care of that disease. So I'm going to spend every dime I can and all my energy and I'm going to get down there and he's going to cure my incurable disease. And you, guess what? He takes the money, but it doesn't work. i still got the disease. That's what sin is like. Now, I don't... It doesn't make... Those are works. You see what I'm talking about? That's works. Now, what do I do? My incurable disease is sin. Now, I go to the one that can cure me. He came to heal that which is lame. He came to save that which is lost. He can cure me. He's the only one that can do that. Sin is also like an indelible stain on my soul. Have you ever had a stain on a shirt or a skirt, a pair of pants that you couldn't get the stain out? A good good piece of cloth, a good, a good shirt, a good pair of pants, a good good something, good jacket. You ever had a stain that you just could not get out? I have. <laughs> so what I do? Well, the first thing I do is I want to get some soda, if I can, and get a little rag and take this soda, carbonated soda, and rub on it and see if it'll get it out. Nope. Okay. Then I'm going to get some... I'm going to get a... Clorox pad, and I'll see if I can get out of that Clorox pad. You know what it does? It just seems to get worse. <laughs> the more I fiddle with it, the worse it gets. I'm working at it now. Okay, now what can I do? Okay, I'll get some naphtha. You ever use naphtha on the stain? I did. I have. Okay, I'll get some naphtha. Sometimes I'll get some lighter fluid. If I've got some lighter fluid access to it, I'll go down to the store and get some. Anyway, I'm working on this stain, and guess what? It's getting bigger. It's not getting littler. It just keeps getting... And it's there. And all of a sudden, it's starting to affect the, the shirt that I'm wearing. And so the shirt's starting to turn colors, and I can't, get the, I can't get the stain out. You know, the only thing that takes the stain of sin off our soul 
the blood of Jesus Christ. He loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. There's no way I can get that stain off. So I'm talking about works. I'm trying to work at it. I'm trying to work at getting, getting rid of the, the bad deed that I did. So I'm going to try to do all I can. No, that's the point. We're saved by faith and not by works. We can't do it ourselves. Jesus can do it. He can, he can erase that record. I can't get it myself, but He can. He can take that stain out. He can cure that disease, which is sin. Faith, then, is what He's talking about. He's talking about, depend on Me and I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. And together, we make it work. Work the works of God. If you have some need this morning to come forward, we're going to ask you to do that while we stand together and sing the song that's been selected for us.